Hello and welcome to a new episode of Transforming Care and Clinical Support, our podcast series from Home Group. I'm Dr. Nick and this is our second episode in a conversation with Professor Chrissy Rogers, Director of the Tizard Centre, discussing her academic works. Please note this series is created for adult audiences only and this episode does contain content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and do take care of yourself. Welcome back to the chat, Chrissy. When we last spoke, we discussed careful and careless spaces, didn't we? Mm. And I wanted to just, I suppose I wanted to give you a bit of a um, more flavour of some of the real life stuff that's going, that's gone on. Yes. And so that, that's kind of given me another springboard into thinking about the sort of criminal justice stuff. So, for example, I've sort of mentioned a little bit about you know, kids in the playground and how challenging it is in, in terms of education. But there were some things that were spoken about that I didn't and couldn't really pursue in that PhD, in that research, because it wasn't really, I didn't, I didn't have enough, there wasn't enough data. It wasn't a, an area that I was able to then pursue. But it always, I came back to it often, which was, there were mothers that spoke to me about some of their children's behaviour that challenged that would mean that they would potentially end up in the criminal justice system. So, for example, there was one lad whose uh, mother, whose son was, um, who set fire to porter cabins at school and another one who touched girls in assembly inappropriately. Another who was experimenting sexually with his cousin. And and some of these things that are really, really challenging were identified by these mothers. And we're talking about children who are 10, 11 years old. And one mother said to me, and it it hasn't left me in, in 20 years, she said to me, I know he's going to end up in the criminal justice system or, or she probably, I think she probably worded it in, in prison or, or being arrested. I just hope it's for burglary and not sexual violence or worse, murder or something. You know, it's, I mean, those, that, that was the sort of narrative. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is what, what are we doing if we're not listening to the parents? Now, you run forward 20 years in 2016 15 i was awarded leverhulme grant to do this criminal justice research so research qualitative research with offenders um who've been through the criminal justice system either ended up in secure hospitals locked wards or within prison or the youth justice um prison system as well so so I interviewed some men and some a couple of young women and I also interviewed some mothers and I've also interviewed some professionals who work in education in forensic services and 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 so on. I haven't finished uh analyzing uh, the life story data yet. Um I have got my book contract uh, which is called which will be called um what will it be called disabilities families and criminal justice 
Disability, families and criminal justice. Yeah. That'd be interesting. A sociological criminology beyond the crime. That's that's the subheading. Anyway, I mean, my point is, is that I've now heard stories again from mothers who have gone and said, my son was doing this and doing that at school. He was being arrested at the age of 12, 13 for minor offences or some violent offences or whatever, but nobody listened. Then he ended up in the criminal justice system, going through being excluded from schools, going into the care system, you know, all of these kinds of things that are going on now. And I suppose some of the things that I've heard from the families are about, again, not being listened to when clearly they know that there's something not quite right or they haven't had they haven't been able to do anything about it or no one is supporting them and two listening to um particularly the men with learning difficulties or those that are autistic with learning difficulties going through the criminal justice system and hearing their stories about their past about their challenges that they had from their childhood some of whom were sexually abused, physically abused, and they went on to commit similar crimes and then end up on the um, sex offenders register, sometimes for not quite knowing how that happened. Uh, I'm not condoning any sexual violence or any kind of offence in that way, or any way, really. I'm not condoning any of the offending. But what I am saying is that we're not dealing with this in a way that is appropriate and supporting and careful, right? Because ultimately, unlike when we hear in the news reporting, so-and-so has been, let's say, put away for a sexual violent attack, we don't know the story. So what I'm saying is I'm not saying that it's okay for that for that thing to happen. But what I am saying is that if, for example, a young man has sex with a 15-year-old, and doesn't know she's 15 or doesn't quite understand that and gets um, on the sex offenders register and and uh, charged with rape or sexual violence or, or uh, sexual assault, sorry, we're not dealing with it because we just don't quite understand how to. Because often in the legal system, it's about who did what to yeah, whom. And containment. And it's very black and white. Absolutely. And there's no... You know, you picked up earlier about the emotional stuff and it's and it's very this is very emotive. And it's again, things like another one of my um, participants was um, put away for sexting and grooming, ended up on the sex offenders register. And he was texting girls and he was in his late teens, early 20s, I think. And he was texting girls of 13. Now, that's very problematic, right? But these kinds of ways of being and doing those types of texts in the black and white letter of the law, they read like they're grooming. I love you. I want to be with you. Those for continuously. And yet when you are in learning disabilities and you understand that people talk about that sort of thing all of the time. The behaviour is different, isn't it? I know it from a personal position, Yeah. right? Um, you know, that um, when people talk about love, they fall in love. And, you know, and I say they, I mean, I'm talking about 
my own my own position here. Yeah. It's very hard to unpick the the kind of legal stuff because you end up with some people yep. who are in locked wards on a 3741 care order for, for years and years and years without any hope of being let out almost. Unlike if actually you're in 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 prison and you you get you end up on parole, right? But that's not my point. My because I've got I've I've interviewed people who are both in prison and in the um in the care hospitals. I mean, I've got more. It's not all about the sort of sex, but there is quite a bit about the sexual kind of like um, misunderstandings. Um, it's context, isn't it? Everything's around the context of it. Yeah. The, kind of the, the the sex with a, a slightly underage girl i mean then what i mean by that is the 15 year old or it's the the texting and the sexting uh and sharing inappropriate pictures that when you don't quite understand the implications of that um and then you come clean or or whatever because you don't understand then that the, you haven't perhaps got the wherewithal to then hide it, which is we know. I mean, as, as a sociologist, many uh, sex offences are don't come in to 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 play because people say, "Well, I didn't do it," and and therefore that can be a, a problem. And then the, there's also the kind of element of one of my uh, participants. He started talking to me about his uh, sex offending, and. And I said, well, you know, kind of like, can you tell me a bit about the sort of precursor to all of that? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, she was there was just a couple of girls walking out and I was just down the road in the park. And I don't know what happened. I just did it. And it was just, she was just there. And it's incredibly challenging to understand. And as I've said in the previous, is that, you know, no one is condoning that and the, and the impact upon... That these these girls, for example, women, young women, and also it has to be said that not not everyone who is autistic or has a learning difficulty is going to go on and commit these kinds of offences. That isn't the case either, but it does happen. Some you know some, sometimes these things do happen. And I think one of the interesting things is talking about um, talking to some of the professionals that work with within this field is that Nick, you mentioned this about about that training and, and what goes on and, and this sort of thing. And and I guess one of the um men that I interviewed um, who works in this this setting, the forensic setting, with particularly with sex offenders who are autistic, he said that they haven't often, especially those who've got learning difficulties, mild or moderate learning difficulties, um, they haven't really been schooled in a way whereby you know i remember him saying to me you know a lot of a lot of young lads they'll get their they'll get their hand slapped or their face slapped because they've touched a girl inappropriately or whatever but he said a lot of these lads they don't actually end up in that situation where they learn the social cues the physical cues as to how to be in a relationship and so therefore they don't know the rules of of how that how those things then go on and how you deal with those things so he was telling me about when he's sort of almost training some of these young men who've been out of have come out of prison or out of um secure hospitals and they then end up in a relationship and 
he said they nobody tells you what you do after you've had sex you don't almost you don't get trained how to care about someone in a relationship after you've let's say made love or had sex oh well you know it's quite a good thing to cuddle or to to do this or do that and it's those those kinds of things that many people will take for granted in terms of learning how to be in a relationship for example that perhaps we just don't really understand how that can how that can sort of then play out do you think that there's that there's more around you know that it's that development of your sexual identity we see it a lot in young people with various levels of intellectual disability and or autism where they they have the same urges and desires as everyone else but actually they've been you know closeted away a lot of the the people that we support or care for and they you know they don't know what masturbation necessarily is they don't understand how their bodies are functioning or how to fulfill their desires in an appropriate society appropriate manner and then you're left you know some care providers maybe some families are trying to work this through themselves and often some of the you know the the case studies you've talked about for through your research we're seeing this being lived out played out in front of us actually as providers because we're, we're trying to support people to prevent them from ending up in hospital but you know there's not necessarily a precedent and it's an uncomfortable conversation isn't it you know it is because they don't there is like that element of they are assumed to be childlike and therefore need protecting and and therefore are perhaps asexual they don't have these desires or they don't they shouldn't have these desires you know and all of those kinds of things and actually they do um, and they do want to have relationships and they do want to have sex and they do want to feel pleasure physically and it is an uncomfortable thing but if we're not enabling that let's say through education then how are we how can we be surprised when people are playing these learning games outside as adults because they weren't able to do that. And so it's kind of like, um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example, a couple of examples from my own personal experience. So when my daughter was at um, senior school, so probably aged about 12 or so, they had a theatre company come in and this was when she was at mainstream. So she's been at special, and, and special needs and mainstream. This when she was at mainstream, I was always a bit of a thespian. You know, I loved acting. <laughs> no. And, uh, no, and, and all of that. I loved all that. Anyway, I mean, so I saw in her backpack a letter about um, a drama company coming to the school and doing it. And, and it was about teaching children about sex and relationships. And I was so excited. I was like, this looks really interesting. I then rung up the school and said, so, you know, when is, you know, what's happening about this? And they said, well, it's already happened. And I said, well, well, why didn't my daughter go? And they said, well, we didn't think it was appropriate. And I went, really? I said, she needs it more than, you know, more than the average person, you know, to be able to learn about sex and and pleasure through drama and watching it on stage 
is is absolutely the best place. And I think the problem is is that is that so many education providers are and not just education providers any you know a lot of people in are, are worried and embarrassed about well what if someone says something and what if what if this person behaves in a way that is going to embarrass us by you know asking a particular question or, or whatever um i was really um deeply kind of like upset because as far as i'm concerned that was a missed opportunity you know of course i mean when she went to the special needs school they did do bananas and condoms and i thought that was that was great you know and all of that sort of stuff um but it's it's you know it's not all about the sex right but there is in in the latest research that i've got there is an element and an arm of the, the sex and intimate relationships that is a problem for uh understanding how um young men often end up in the criminal justice system because they just don't know how to behave out within their relationships and also because of the stories I've heard they haven't been treated very well either um whether that's through a care system because they've been bounced around you know they've they've been looked after they've been looked after care and um or they've been abused themselves um or they haven't, you know, they just haven't learned how to how to be in a relationship. Um, and and so and they haven't tested the boundaries out in a safe way as a younger child. But then there's the kind of like the other sort of like there's the other side of the coin whereby I've had, um, you know, spoken to mothers who have been violently attacked by their adult um, autistic child. And in one particular case, he ended up, and this comes back to again listening. We're not listening. The provide whoever the provider is, whether it's the GP, education, or social care, we're not listening. So the person, the mother that I was talking to and interviewing, even logged bruises with the GP from her from her son, but she didn't want to press charges because she didn't want him going inside or being arrested. And it only went into the next kind of phase of it was when it got so bad that she ended up running out of the place bleeding and the neighbours got involved and she nearly died. And and he did get arrested and he did end up on remand in an ordinary prison for eight months before he then got... Really? Yeah, before he then went to a secure hospital for the next few years. We haven't cra- cracked it yet, have we? Understanding behaviour. No. And working together, multi-agency, to get it right. We haven't got a national approach yet, have we, really? No, because being in a being in a ordinary prison as a, an autistic man who doesn't really quite understand, because he, when asked why he thought he was there he said he didn't know because his mum was making too much noise and he couldn't cope with the noise and so he ended up lashing out now that's that's not okay for her but she was so frightened and this is where the care ethics model stuff comes in is that where are we 
And where are those careless and careful spaces for both or all parties? Because the mother was in a very careless space for all intents and purposes. She was quite vulnerable in, in, in terms of her safety. But he was, in a way, in quite a careful space being in that maternal relationship. But then ends up in a really kind of like fragile one and, and careless space in the, the mainstream prison um, because he didn't understand why he was there. But then we kind of like when when I look at some of the those that went into uh, on the sex offenders register, put onto a vulnerable wing, and yet if you're on a vulnerable wing with a bunch of sex offenders, some of whom are going to be a lot more dangerous than than Billy, who's eighteen and and you know ended up having sex with someone who's fifteen as opposed to, let's say, a paedophile ring. You know, I'm not saying there's a there's a, a line there. I'm not saying there's a continuum as such, but I'm just saying that we haven't got it right in terms of what we do when it comes to particular, you know, vulnerabilities and challenges within education, the health service, the criminal justice system. Yeah, social care, health care. We haven't, you know, I don't think we've, we've cracked it yet. It's interesting when you talk about careful spaces it's such a tricky thing to create I was reflecting on this actually with some of my team you know when when you have somebody who's extremely vulnerable and you know might have autism as well as mental health issues and have been locked up for whatever reason in a secure unit and then you try and transition them into communities to create a careful space for everybody involved it's probably the most difficult thing a lot of us as providers have ever had to do because that person in themselves are, are traumatized that you know they've created um challenging or behaviors of distress that are quite extreme in some cases and then you've got you know neighbors residents because you want this person to live back in a community that's what their family want for them they want for themselves you have to manage all of that in such a sensitive way and look after everybody involved it's very, very tricky because everybody actually is a, is is affected in, in some way and you almost have to, well, I don't know what the answer is, but you do end up riding a bit of a wave, certainly in the first year of that transition before you can probably... Well, it unpick, comes back, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It comes back to that interrelational element to yeah. carefulness because when I say careful or careless, I don't really mean it in a binary way there are careful and careless spaces all around us all the time you know um but it's about being the best version of what we can have of uh, uh, in that in that time and one of the things i think to come out of some of these these the research from me in my head at the moment is that very thing that you were talking about is that we're not doing very well together and in a way, I could speak to that even just as a as a mother who's got a disabled daughter who's got different types of conditions that affect different organs. And not even the consultants will speak to each other. So although she's got a whole body, she is a human being, right? The the, the things don't I don't I'm the one. I'm I'm the one who has to bring the things together and go. 
well, okay, if her lungs are affected by, in, in, and so the respiratory team are there, and then there's the brain people, and then, you know, and and I'm the one who has to then do the investigating to see whether or not any of these things coexist together okay, or if there's going to be something more problematic. And that's not okay, because if I can't manage some of the time, and I'm, you know, intellectually able, loads of families who have got lots of different challenges going on, they are not able to kind of like take on board some of these different things that their their children and then adults have, whether that's some, you know, some uh, mental health, self-harm, um, global learning delays, autism, attention deficit problems, you know, and, and, bringing, and, and bringing those things together is like, I've heard people say, well, when they leave child services, whether it's in health or social care, that's it. It's gone because everything then kind of like separates. Yeah, they're different places. Yeah, absolutely. We'll pause the discussion there for now, Chrissy. But in the next episode, I want to explore how this care should be extended out further to families. For now, I want to say a massive thank you again for your time. Well, thank you ever so much. I'm really pleased to have been able to speak about such heart-wrenching issues. 